Don't you wanna die happy with a smile on your face? Wake up a laughing, <laughs> cause you're free of all the things that would hold you from your ocean view. Life's a landscape, why don't you baby? Josh, if you had five minutes left to live, what would be on your list of deathbed regrets? Right. Okay, so projecting right to the future. Mm-hmm. I've, that's like, hopefully, given that I've done three more quarter centuries more, up to about 100. Um, right now, okay, this is difficult to project forward. So, so I, I like to sort of, take, as, as a, my human design, I'm quite a, um, you know, um, a creative free flow, um, sort of passive, what they call the passive manifester. I don't get too attached to things. I kind of set an intention, allow it to come. So... For me, that's why I, that's, I lean into that nature of mine. Um, so I don't like to kind of define what I will, will regret. But given that I uh, do get to that point, I would just say connecting the dots of my past, like really going into that. I, I want to know my story at the deepest level that I can possibly meet it. At. Hmm. I've done my own inner child work, but it's, it, there's so much more to discover about how I'm the person I am today. Yeah. Now, I would like to have the courage to really go into the, the traumatic incidents I've gone through um, to some extent. You know, sometimes we like to bypass our own stories because we hear on the news um, the most tragic incidences. And sometimes we bypass our own stories, although they could be equally as traumatic to somebody because it's subjective. Mm-hmm. And then we bypass our own suffering. And there's so much learning that we can go through through our own suffering. And it's how willing we are to, to meet that shadow and that, uh, that, that trauma we've gone through. Now, I've not gone through any, like, anything like um, you know, sexual abuse or, um, fortunately enough, no, no physical abuse or anything like that. But I've gone through my own form of abuse. And I'm sure, like you, Martin, I'm sure we've gone through our stories of lives and we've, we've come through those little spiritual awakenings and, and turned it over. But I think that regret would be one of the biggest ones, like learning enough about myself to be of biggest service to others Mm, that's very uh, honest of you yeah Mm. it's shadow work is Mm. is a big big part of healing well it's phase one isn't it of healing and um uh, bali is an interesting place for that because you you come across a lot of people uh, talking about spiritual bypassing i don't know if you've come across this oh yeah yeah big term where there are where there are some people who sort of where spirituality is an identity yes yeah. and um and they're kind of going around doing their thing and, and essentially saying i'm healed in fact i'm so healed i could probably heal you um yes. and the reality is they haven't actually they haven't actually done the deep work mm-hmm. they're, they've already gone got to the the spiritual flighty uh phase without yes. uh, and skipped and bypassed the, it, it, the aspect of the shadow work smashed it and this is when people have uh, missed the, the the phase of fully integrating something mm. fully, fully embodying it fully like transmuting their lessons and and, and being walking the walk mm-hmm. and we, we we're in a world that likes to talk and we're in a world of, of lots of noise and people um jumping necessary steps to to um get success sooner mm-hmm. for example like mm-hmm. 
we're seeing, you know, Love Island reality TV stars who have just made it overnight with a click of the fingers and then, you know, come crashing down because they they, they haven't fully prepared for what, what that comes with. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my story, I nearly got onto Love Island and luckily I didn't because I, I don't think I was ready. Something mm-hmm. inside my my central nervous system was saying, Josh, you're you're not ready for this, buddy. Like you're 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 ready for the toxic UK media to attack you. But it's like just just for that that external thing that we absorb, we think that that is our means to success. However, we can get it. Mm-hmm. It's like we can come out of integrity mm-hmm. to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing it so much, but we don't see the stories behind the, the shallowness of living in that sort of success. No, we don't. But then we're, we are surrounded by it. So it's yes. perfectly understandable that there are a couple of generations now who have a, a, a whole other perspective of what life is and what life should be and what identity should be yeah. uh, and what success looks like, right? Yeah. Um, success uh, in, in air quotes. Um, I, I am tempted to ask you about Love Island. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, so we could we could dip into that one. Yeah, let's, it's, it's... let's have a little walk on the beach. <laughs> Tell me all about that. So, what on earth got you interested in in going on Love Island? No, no, it wasn't even an interest. I think it was by chance. And what's funnily, uh, fun, we can actually talk into the the, the law of uh, manifestation, law of attraction. Uh huh. Um, literally, I was in a a place that had gone through some um, um, some difficult relationships of my own. I just come out of uh, rebounded out of a uh, uh, a relationship with my ex. Um, I rebounded out of a couple of friendships I'd had, which were um, what I now understand with hindsight was slightly um, empath takes you know empath takes um, the right hand side of a of a narcissist. You get you know I got used quite a bit in that that in that um, dynamic, and and I was just thinking I was quite a, a bit of a rock bottom after that moment. And I, I remember having my my good friend who was a director. Um, sat across from me at a cafe and he said uh you know we were just talking about life plans and i said well and i was in this egoic place i, I really would admit it i uh i was i had a, a brand called the health hunk i was kind of living through an alter ego <laughs> yeah and unconsciously i would absolutely admit this was me trying to prove something something to the external world um and and feeling safe within this persona mm. and it was something i was trying to explore and unlock but it was not truly me and I was still living in that space. And I said to Marco, my good friend at the time, and I said, um, I would love to just like, I would love life to just be a bit easier. I'd love something to happen. Like me jump onto a big whale and just explode. And it, it, things would just be easier. I'd jump the steps like we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. skip it. Skip it. And and what happened that same day we had that conversation, I had a, um, a, a recruiter on Instagram pop into my DMs and she said, hey, we, we love the look of you again. It's all persona. It's how yeah. you look. Healthy you know, this is it, the health hunk. I had the little brand. I had the smile. I had the, you know, the ad, the, the washboard abs and all that. They were like, oh, perfect. You look great for our show. Yeah. Um, deep down, I knew I was more, more deeper than that. I'm an empath. I was an emotional guy. Um, but I thought, okay, let's ride this wave. They they called me into the uh, the UK. Went to meet the directors in the ITV. Pretty scary stuff. You know, you had seen Anton Deck on the side of the walls as I was going through the corridors. It was like a. Wowzers. It was like a, it, it was pretty scary. Got me in this throne, you know, in this um, interview room, a big, you know, TV style camera in front of my face. And they grilled me there, you know, a couple of the questions was like, what, you know, um, so what are you doing in Bali? And uh, I sort of explained what I was up to and, and they were trying to just grill me to see if I was able to be impressioned um, mm. and was able to be manipulated for their show. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately enough, I got, you know, I walked out with, um, um, 
went home, walked out of that interview and, and found out that I'd never made it. So it was good. They, I just didn't make the cast. But to get to that stage, I think it's the top 100. I went through the psychotherapy treat, uh, um, interviews. I went through a lot of stuff to get there. And I bet they do psychometric testing, do they? This is it. Uh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I got... Um, it was just a one-size-fits-all couple of questions. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I think they just sense empaths. And yeah. I asked a couple of questions to them. I said, do you have any space where I can just... I said to them, is there any space to get away from the cameras? Being mm. a rabbit in headlights with this kind of like George Orwellian sort of um, authoritarian state within, you know, within this sort of bubble um, of reality TV. Yeah. I said, is there any escape from it? And they said, no. No, you'll be covered every which way. You have cameras in the toilets that they don't televise, oh. but just for your own safety, because there was there were suicides on the uh, from previous shows. What um, attempts or actual uh, actual suicide? suicides? Um, um, what's it? Caroline Flack. That's just I think her anniversary's just passed. Oh wow! She was the presenter of it, and she she know that it was from the UK media because it's super toxic. But but the issue was, I was so building up to that whole interview process. My central nervous system was saying, Josh, your intuition was saying, Josh, this isn't for you. Mm. My family was kind of accepting it. My dad's sort of front face and he doesn't mind. My mum and, and my family are quite um, closed off and they, they're quite sensitive. Mm. Um, they just didn't want this kind of like public. Yeah, attack. you would you would be on the front page of the tabloids on a regular basis, wouldn't you? This is the problem. And I, I didn't know. I, I'm, I'm a little bit out of touch in reality. I'm 46. So that was reality TV was never my vibe. And yeah. I've been out of the UK for a, for a few years now. So. But I'm assuming yes. that's that's the case. It, it, people are literally their lives are torn apart. It, I mean, this is the thing: you, you're not empowered if you outsource. You know, they have so much power to create something that you're not, mm. and they want you to be something you're supposed to be. Mm. A persona, a persona, mm. and uh, lots of uh, people accept that and live in this surface level environment. You know, they're not met themselves in their depth. Mm. Um, because they, they you know it, it's um it's a place where they can thrive you know they're monetarily provided for um mm -hmm. lots of opportunity comes off the back end of those shows mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and they accept their fate and they're young naive kind of people that haven't had the the deep dark um you know, naive to the mental health yeah. difficulties that they can that can come with it um sure. naive to the fact that you know it's a lot you're putting on the plate there you're you're sacrificing a lot um and it takes a lot to to turn it all over um i've got a good friend in, in changu in bali at the moment he was on the first show one of the first shows um and i think he he did really well because he's got a tough skin he did well did well on the, the 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 after talk shows and things and he sort of like really embraced that persona mm. but it seems like now he's coming out of it in a way so it, it is turnaroundable um and it's all figure outable as they say but it's it was a I, I was saved by the bell for sure not getting on that show and then i met jazz which opened up my who is your wife my life partner yeah. now so i'm really happy about that so um again how can we define life partner as well like i'd love to ask you it's like setting expectations upon someone that you meet yeah in life and it's, it's like it's an all or nothing marriage mm -hmm. it's like you have to be all in mm. on whatever pursuit and i know we're, we're dipping into relationships now it's like it's all or nothing because if I show any signs of like um, uncertainty, um, it throws the whole relationship off, doesn't it? It's kind of like, well, um, you need to really commit to things that are truthfully you. And it's, it's better to kind of come into alignment first to make that journey a little bit more um, unregrettable, as it were. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've actually got two ex-wives. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I 
I mean, the listeners of the show have heard my story. Please, I, I mean, I, I love, I love a high-level overview for sure. Yeah, yeah. My, my, I grew up in a in a quite a traumatic household. My mother was an alcoholic. Yes. My dad was away working all the time. So, so the first eight years, my formative years, were were um, born of trauma. Yeah. And my self worth um, and concept of of, of self love. Yeah. We're all absolutely twisted. My relationship with uh, womankind, my mother, and and mankind, my father, yeah. were also twisted, born out of um, an, an unfortunate childhood. Yeah. So yeah, I I just I was like the. Do you remember the um, Tasmanian Devil cartoon? You old uh, enough to remember that? Maybe not. Y- yes, oh. yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. I was, yeah. I was that guy. I just, I just flew from one drama to another um either co-created or someone else's and i just flocked to them and i i stirred up even more drama threw a few hand grenades over my shoulder on the way out and then onto the next drama left a trail of destruction uh emotionally injured a significant number of people so so, so you, you can usually be an internalizer who tries to figure out and self-reflect and figure it out, you know, um, be the harmonizer in those relationships and those um, difficult situations. Or you can be the externalizer, which turns to drugs, turns to to projections, turns to sort of blaming everything around them in their external world. Exactly that, that. yeah. So I was a full-on narcissist. I was uh, drinking, using drugs. I actually became an alcoholic and a a cocaine addict. So for probably a good 20 years, I was hard hard drinking and and, uh, using coke. I celebrated my fourth year sober last week actually congratulations mate yeah that's huge huge. so and of course as you will know um most people will say it's interesting you should say you were a narcissist because no most narcissists don't know they're narcissists there's covert narcissists too and that exists yeah um it is a very tricky domain to, to, to to walk through but i think narcissists too can turn it around mm-hmm it takes again like a spiritual awakening. It's kind of like they're, they're just willfully unaware. Yeah. Well, and I, I think there's a there's a willful unawareness, but there was also, for me, there was an awareness. There was awareness of my Machiavellian behavior. I was a I was a cheat. I was um, I was an emotional bully, and I was very very addicted to drama. So I would use. Have you come across Cartman's Drama Triangle? I haven't. No. Please explain. Yeah. You, you, have you come across transactional theory analysis? Um, no, no, these are new to me. Okay, well, these are, I, I, well, these are good practi- practical utilities, so I'll, I'll talk about them. Um, I think it was a psychologist called Byrne who created transactional theory analysis. You'll have come across the concept. Essentially, sure. when we interact with one another, we, we, we can adopt one of three main personas, mm-hmm. parent, adult, or child. Mm-hmm. So if I come at someone else with my parent, adult, or child, so if I come at them patronizing, patronizing them, there's a danger they might respond to me in a, like a child. In a child, okay. So, so it's an authoritarian uh, victim. Um, exactly. So this one is the persecutor. This one is the victim, mm. essentially, and plays the victim as a result of that. Okay. If I come at someone as a child, then they may well also be childish. So we're just going to have a tit-for-tat discussion. Or they might patronize me, which is also going to trigger something. So the 
and it is really basic, obviously. Do some homework on this. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's a, yeah. There's a lot more. <laughs> is um, that you know the West Side sort of gang signs to the camera? <laughs> I'm giving I'm giving you the really easy version of this, but essentially, um, the therefore the advice is: well, hang on a minute. If we can come at this as a parent, as an adult, yeah, always. Then how does that work? Well, if we're an adult, doesn't mean we're patronising because the parent is a patronised. So as an adult, we are we are calm, we are collected, mm-hmm. we listen. Yeah. We hold space, right? So if I can do that, even if you are uh, triggered, because mm-hmm. you might be triggered by me being calm. I've I've had relationships with narcissistic women who were triggered by me being calm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but if I stay calm, then at least I'm doing all I can in that arrangement to to maintain some peace and quiet. Yes. So, anyway, long story. Burn had a student called Cartman, and Cartman was inspired by this to create something called Cartman's Drama Triangle. And it's a wonderful theory, really simple. Again, I've, I've got a camera up now on me. So uh, three sides to drama. There are three main personas adopted in drama. You can either be the persecutor, got it. the victim, or the rescuer. Interesting. Yeah, well, that, yeah, it, I, I would agree with that. And I, I, going back to your theory of um, parent, adult, child, is that, Funnily enough, in our relationships, we kind of need to hold space for our inner child, children, mm-hmm. you know, th- those kids that live within us. Mm-hmm. But we can't adopt the parent mentality. Again, like you say, you've got to meet that child with, with your adult. Exactly. Because you can't do that work for your partner. You can't mother or father. Um, it's just a, it's not a romantic dynamic at all. You'll lose your sexual charge. You'll lose, um, you know, you outsource a lot of your power. Um, and, and uh, your yeah your empowered stance in the relationship just kind of dissipates. You kind of become the caretaker, and that's not okay. Mm. So we're well, in balance as well. It's that equilibrium, isn't it? It's kind of like accepting that those are within us, but it's like not letting it run the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and I'd love to go back to your like I, this is like a high level view of your life, and I'm like seeing who you are today. I'm I like, how did back, that yeah. actually <laughs> happen? Like I, I really like how you've turned it around. What was the transformational? I, part yeah well it it was it was an extreme form of transformation Mm. i back to the triangle for a moment i would i would often either be the persecutor or i would play the victim right in um an emotion uh, in a romantic relationship i was usually playing the victim got it and and therefore drawing my partner into the drama Mm. and it and some of that was knowing you know, some of that was knowing activity. So it was very, uh, very intelligent narcissism. And my, uh, I actually started to have some therapy and my therapist congratulated me in a, in a kind of clinical way. Right, <laughs> right, right. For my ability to do some of these things. Not, not so much the narcissism. It was more around protecting myself. But um, I, I, this, is, this is traditional masculine too. Like I've been reading Robert Greene's books. Yep. And it's all about the 48 laws of power and, and the art of seduction. And I sometimes get these like chills down my spine when I read those seductive hacks. But it's what we used to use as like Chinese emperor, emperors taking over territory or Cleopatra to, um, he uses, uh, yeah, Cleopatra and uh, Julius Caesar, how she seduced him. It's the same thing. It is a game you can play, but a very unconscious game. But it's exactly. kind of like conscious unconsciousness. It's like you, it's very clever. It is. And you know you're doing it. And, and even... When people, you, everybody knows they're doing this on a level, but of course it could be subconscious. It could even be real subconscious, unconscious stuff. Right. Um, but they do know they're doing it. And, in, and intuitively we know we're doing it because our intuition does speak to us. Yeah. It's just that we don't 
ego is so strong uh, in this sort of situation that you don't want to hear your intuition. Uh, sure. Your intuition is going to mess with the game. Saboteur, the saboteur. But more importantly, it's going to mess with your control. And this is the nature of narcissism. You know, nature of narcissists, they are traditionally, and I'm you know, speaking gen in general terms, they are traditionally people who were neglected or abused or experienced some trauma as a child. And they had to create a new construct around them to protect this fragile thing here. Interesting. And so uh, in my, in, in my uh, situation, it was obviously my, my childhood with my mum. I was constantly seeking intimacy from my mum, but I rarely got it. I see. So your mum was neglectful parenting. She exactly, because she was parenting. drunk. So mm -hmm. she would spend a lot of her time in her bedroom with a couple of bottles of wine. And it was a, it was a very sad thing to experience as a small child because I, 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 could, I could hear her either ranting, mm -hmm. drunk at herself right. or crying. You know, the woman would just sob mm. just for hours. Yeah. And I could hear the, and I knew she'd have these two big bottles of wine because she would take us to the off license on the way home from school, pick up the wine, pick up a load of cigarettes and, you know, we'd get fed or we wouldn't get fed. And she would, she just, the poor woman would just sit in this bedroom all night, just, just getting absolutely hammered and just feeling this pain. And I wanted to go and, you know, that's what little boys want to do with their mums, isn't it? You know, I wanted to give her a hug, but... Mm. There was just this sort of energetic barrier. And of course, I wanted a hug because I'm seeing this, I'm six or four yeah. or, f you know, whatever age I was, because this was my whole life, seeing this happen with my mum. And I wanted, I needed a hug. You know, hang on a minute. My dad's not around because he's working or, and he's just kind of not available emotionally anyway. Sure. And my mum's here. So, 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 and this is what happens to us. This is, this is what creates narcissism because actually, right. ultimately, we are poor little, we're, we're, we're we're wounded inner children and we need to control our environment. Your, your, needs, your needs just weren't met. And, and you were meeting it in a way that was probably quite manufactured and artificial because you didn't know what was true. Mm -hmm. You weren't shown what was true, true love, with, through your parents. Exactly that. And, and now, how is your relationship with your mum now? Have you kind of just moved on? Have you just, how did you deal with it? Well, that? it's interesting you say that. So this, this really was the triggering to, to my self-awareness. She died. And she died in 2014, and we'd had uh, we'd had a miserable up and down, a tempestual, tempestuous relationship because she, even in, as a young adult, I would still make the effort come round on Mother's Day with the flowers, and my dad would come to the door and say, "Oh, she's drunk. I'm so sorry." And all right, okay, give him, give her those. You know, I'd go. So it, it became it became a really strained relationship where I I didn't like her. Okay. You know? yeah. I loved her, but I didn't like her. Okay. And, uh, and I had to sort of let her go in that regard. Um, and we never really had the conversations we should have had. You know, we never had it. I, was, I wasn't this guy now. Um, I was still wounded mm -hmm. and still incapable of communicating my, uh, my emotions, right? Yeah. Uh, and she was, she, you know, she died that way. And so that was our that was the, that was our family. Unfortunately, nobody was in, nobody was any good at communicating their emotions. So when she died, I I I hit the bottle, I hit the drugs even okay. further, uh, self harmed, put my head through a window, um, and sh not long after that, almost killed myself. Gosh! And that okay. wasn't to do. It wasn't because my mum died. It was it. 
that her dying brought it all up to the surface mm-hmm. where and I had a girlfriend at the time who was much younger than me and uh, tried her best but she couldn't help me you know yeah she no, couldn't help me no. this I because I had to I went in I went even deeper into the into the castle I um, see and yeah. actually because she couldn't help me I I then re- decided she can't help me and some another woman started paying some attention to me and which which women were you attracting at that moment in time? Oh, really well, this was on Twitter, man. This was this was this was ridiculous. It was a total stranger who who just wanted sexual gratification. Okay, she wanted right. sexual attention. Sure. And um, anyway, the long story short, the girl I was with actually discovered the uh, the communications, and it wasn't pretty. You know, I mean, this was this was dark, dark stuff. Sure. So, and rightly, she, uh, well, actually, no, she forgave so, so me. So communications of your... Uh, with with sexual communications with another woman. Another woman, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty dark. And through that period, I, I once I'd been rumbled by this partner, mm-hmm. you know, I had to accept I had, a, I had a problem. It was it was at that point I realized, hang on a minute, I've been cheating my whole damn life. Yeah. I've been a narcissist my whole damn life. I've been playing the victim. I've been attracting drama my whole damn life mm-hmm. and i and suddenly i, I kind of took stock and realized you know what you've got all of these broken relationships everywhere yeah all back there everywhere mm. are you seriously telling me that you're not the only common denominator <laughs> yes and the answer yeah. was you are the common denominator mm-hmm. and it's time for you to to start taking stock of that now don't get me wrong this is takes, takes a lot of humility though to even admit it even in your past well like, i was I, I was at rock bottom buddy you know i yeah. nearly i nearly blew my brains out i had a loaded mm. shotgun in my mouth i had a bottle of gin in my stomach yeah. and i was literally about to pull the trigger and my beagle came into the room literally wow. kicked the door open little puppy as well and she just basically said what's for dinner dickhead <laughs> is that what she did she just come in and like luckily, what did she do she licked your face or she, what? she was know. tiny she no she stood in the door i'll never forget it because it was such um i don't know it's like a movie moment you know i'm yeah. literally with a gun and i look to i'm crying obviously because i'm about to kill myself yeah. and she just sort of you know the door comes open the light because there was hardly any light in this room the light from the kitchen comes in this little puppy just sitting there and she's looking at me and wow. you know, you know Spirit. I, I, I believe that dog was a was a, a an angel in a fur coat, and I and I believe that dog was that was put there to stop me doing that. And this is the th- I think the relationship that's beautiful. Mm. So the relationship to beauty gets you out of your darkest moments. Absolutely, it does, right? And and that was your awakening, wasn't it? It was just like okay, life is worth living for it those was. tiny moments. It was. It was a long journey, and I, and it's something I've, I've talked about bits and bats of this on the show, and I always mm. say. I'm very, very keen to point out to people, listen, because back to the conversation we were having, shadow work sucks. Shadow yes, work yeah. is really tough. It uh-huh. is not a, It's not just two words, and it's not just mm-hmm. a, oh, yeah, I'll do my shadow work, and then I'll get on with my enlightenment. Yeah. No, that's not how it works. It's, it's fucking awful, and it can last years. It's a know? journey, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it is, and it's a different speed for everyone, right? That's the other thing. Exactly. Yes, it's like I think sometimes we we like to radicalize our lives so we can kind of like uh, you know it's like a it's a funny um, break to make it story. We like to to do the same thing. It's like um, it, we want to make our suffering so deep that we have something to actually work on. Sometimes, don't absolutely, we, we like, do. We're addicted to it. We're, yeah, like you said, yeah, we're addicted to that. We're, we're addicted to the pain, and yeah. um, it's like you say, you, you'll really push the limit. 
um, to the pain um, that then enough is enough. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like you're finally aware that you were digging your own hole. Yeah, exactly that. Well, and also I actually, I became tired of it. You know, the, yeah. the, the interesting thing about suffering is it's choice. Yeah. But Buddha said pain is inevitable mm-hmm. and suffering is optional. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Buddha was Buddha, right? It, the, the the Buddha, all the Buddha dudes knew exactly what they were they were doing and what they were saying. We, I think, skipping to addiction for a moment. Mm-hmm. Addiction, people talk about addiction being a disease. Mm-hmm. And not to... Not to criticize that, but to, I suppose, to, to, to add to that, for me, addiction is a symptom of something else. Mm-hmm. Disease is, is two words put together, isn't it? It's dis-ease. Yeah. So addiction is uh, an evidence of disease, but it's a symptom of trauma. Mm. And us addicts, and when I say us addicts, you know, I don't just mean the people in the crack dens and the people, the homeless people injecting uh, heroin. I mean, people who need to use a bottle of white wine to regulate or people who need cocaine on a Friday night. Can you even be in healthy avenues? Like people can get really obsessed with the gym or, you know, um, you know, eating, cake. eating disorders. Exactly. You know? that, this, and this is, and te- or tech, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, there is cool. tech addiction is a real thing. If you're constantly doing that, you've got a problem. Yeah. So uh, the point being that the addicts are, the, these symptoms are all traumatic, they're all symptomatic of trauma and they're all, a, they're a way of distracting. Externalizing, like you say, is that and getting away so, so one way of doing that is to, is to dig deeper into more suffering. Yeah. How shall I distract myself from doing the shadow work? Yeah. Well, I'm just going to hurt myself more. And I'm going to hurt some other people in the, in the, in the, uh, whilst I'm doing that. And I, I, of course, I have no idea consciously that I'm doing that. That's my ego at play. Consciousness is trying like hell to battle through this murky pool of, of shitty water that it's been trying to swim through for 40 odd years. But mm-hmm. ego is so damn strong, the current's just pushing consciousness away. Uh, so a long answer to your short question was, is, is that essentially what happened? I, after my mom died, I started to see a therapist. I said to the therapist, do me a favor, explain the science. Uh, I'm a pragmatist. So if you explain the science to me, I'm going to get it. So I tell you something, then you can explain to me why I'm doing so that. you're quite logical, just as, as what many narcissists probably tend to, to adopt too. Well, it's, it's, still a lo- contra- it's, still a, it's still an aspect of control if you think about it. Yeah. But it was positive because it was, it was trying to get myself into a situation where I could finally heal. And ultimately, I knew that that meant I would stop hurting other people because that was the primary driver here. You know, my mum died and I was unable to tell her that I loved her and I was unable to to have these conversations with her like I have on this podcast every mm. week yeah um, and she was unable to communicate with me and even if I did attempt every once in a while to talk to her because I, I did try to talk to her and my dad after I started having therapy yeah it's just stonewall you know I might as well have been speaking Mandarin they just didn't want to communicate on that level they were incapable it, they're neglectful they, they they you know it's just like a crying baby so you know there's four four approaches to it uh, um you know it, it seems like both of them were were absent and neglectful um that, that's the, the 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 way they can go with it they're either passive neglectful yeah. emotional which is very like a uh, rubber band like they they'll um use you to comfort themselves or distance themselves and avoid you in mm. one minute you know it's kind of like bipolar in its own way and then um, driven parents are like authoritarian regime, but it didn't seem like you had that. 
emotional potentially, but maybe passive and neglectful. They were passive, and right. and and bless them. You know, my dad's still alive, and he might even be listening to this this episode. So hi, dad, love you. Um, I don't blame them, yeah. and I don't blame them because I've learned enough about psychology and about epigenetics, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. which for anyone who's listening doesn't understand. Essentially, it's it's that we learn this stuff through our genes as much as we learn it through our, our conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so this debate over nature versus nurture, mm-hmm. it's kind of no longer uh, the, the, the debate it once was because we now know that, that actually the trauma, trauma is passed on through our genetics. Of course. So, and I know that my mum's mother was a, a drinker mm-hmm. and I suspect probably... The, the parent before was a drinker. We're from an Irish and Scottish oh, combination. So, you know, that yeah. kind of, and Catholic. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Catholicism is Catholicism. It's a highly oppressive, pretty terrifying religion mm. where depending on uh, how old you are, you were, you were either having the Old Testament stuffed down your throat or at least the New Testament. Either way, you were being, you were being indoctrinated about mm. and, and being told uh that you must be ashamed of yourself for anything and um, that if you didn't walk the path, your your alleged loving God would smite you um, with a rod of lightning. And arguably, it's like if, you know, to break the patterns, you need to be a re- rebellious and a revolutionary to, to create a new one. Yeah. And you know what happened to revolutionaries in the old history? They were thrown stones at, and they were yeah. killed. Or they were called witches, and they were drowned or, uh, or or burned at the stake. Bam! And I think that lives through, you know, like you say, epigenetics, um, transgenerational patterning. It's like that trauma is is still living through until someone breaks it, um, and has the courage and the vulnerability to lead through um, changing that, that. That. Yeah, and we call it breaking the cycle, don't we? Yes, and that's, and I think that's. Well, that's what I've done. And um, so the, the final part of the, of the process for me was uh, actually discovering, uh, discovering ayahuasca plant medicine. Right, you went down that way. Yeah, and I didn't realize I was going to, but my mm. uh, younger brother actually introduced me to it. My younger brother came back into my life and he was a completely different person. He was, wow. he was just amazing and he was, he was love. And we we'd had a very tempestuous relationship, me, him, the, and my old my other older brother, on and off for six years, eight years, not talking, you know, all sorts. And uh, I just wanted to know what it was that had, that had that had affected this change in him. Right. So eventually, uh, he introduced me to our ayahuasca, and and that completely changed everything for me because the medicine. Does a many does many 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 things for many people, but it is a healing medicine, and mm. and what it does, it, it, it's able, it's it has the ability to reach right inside, mm-hmm. uh, get right under the subconscious, unconscious, and and pluck out all of your trauma. Windscreen wipers for the soul, that period. Yeah, so. well, it's yeah, or, and ten years of therapy in one journey. You know, that's the that's the vibe. It's mm. it, it is it's like a laser cut key right. to healing, and not to. To, to disrespect um, psychiatry or psychology or psychotherapy, we actually had a psychotherapist on the show two weeks ago, a 77-year-old chap called Keith Hagenbach. Right. Keith has been a psychotherapist for 20 years, 20-plus 20 years, 
he's still practicing in his 70s. And three years ago, he did ayahuasca for the first time. Okay. And that completely changed his perspective on psychotherapy, on humanity, on life, love, the universe. Um, he, he had a, a, a huge, he was already quite, he was already an awakened um, being uh, by yeah. his own recollection, but, mm -hmm. but he held fear. Uh, he, he into his seventies, he, he was still a very fearful man, and the ayahuasca was able to to clean that and get it and just throw it away. It's interesting because he would have been in lots of attachment throughout his whole life, right? He would have gone through um, lots of education to get where he is, and he would have uh, believed a one-way linear um, way to sort of um, process complex information of what life is, um, and then for that to be broken down with a sledgehammer is painful shit. You know, it's yeah, not easy to it handle. is. But I, but I, I think in his case, he was certainly he was certainly a lot more uh, enlightened anyway. So he's probably a little bit more fortunate. Uh, it wasn't as shocking. But what he did do was completely opened up his perspective to what the medicine can do. So uh, he's now very keen to somehow. Obviously, he can't do it in the UK because it's it's, it's criminalized. But he's keen to somehow work with integration and helping people. Uh, integrate uh, substance-assisted therapy, really, you know, Good doing some work with this medicine. Mm -hmm. So that was it. I, I did, I came to Bali after that. I, I, closed, I threw my whole life away. Mm -hmm. um, it was a mess. I, I gave everything away. I sold stuff. Um, and I moved to Bali, and I, and I just spent a couple of years just doing the work. Uh, and that was meditation. It was breath work. It was yoga. Mm. Uh, it was silent retreats. And... Uh, and I, I fixed it. Yes. I, I, I fixed myself. Do you think truly, though, like this, yeah. like 100% done, fixed? Well, to an extent, I, I think you can be fully healed, but mm. I think there is a... Our old conditioning can always come back mm. and, tr and test us. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think the, the only way that you can fix that is to do the work to, to get rid of most of that conditioning. Mm but then always be vigilant through awareness, through observation. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that can come in many ways, can't it? It can come mm -hmm. through meditation. Uh, it can come through breath work. It can come through um, being able to observe yourself from a higher seat of consciousness in an, in an exchange. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got there. I, well, put it this way. I still get grumpy. I, yes. we, we had... The next door neighbors were fogging for mosquitoes. This oh, morning. we had the same thing. It yeah. was everywhere. Now, you and I know that that stuff is absolutely bloody toxic. It's carcinogenic and it can kill, it can give you cancer. But it doesn't seem to stop people just spraying it all over the garden. So, yeah. anyway, I was obviously set to set up all this gear to meet you. And it's been battering it down with rain all morning. And we couldn't come out because of the fog. And I, so I started to get. And then. Yeah, some stuff this is work. stuff you were controlling, right? You, you, you felt like you lost control. And exactly. this is again when we lose control, we get you know ah, that's where the, the emotional you get anxious, comes. don't you? So I and I had to, but I saw myself doing it, and that's mm. the difference. Yeah. You, you know this whole enlightenment, you know, awakening story that people have for themselves. We should never forget that we're still humans. Mm. So yeah, mm. of course, it's an amazing thing for you to to get self aware and for mm. you to take responsibility for your actions and for you to learn how to interact and to love yourself and to love others in a better way. Yeah, but don't never judge yourself to to the point where you forget that you're human. I went through this. This was part of my process. Was actually, yeah, I can't be human. Mm. I don't like that guy. You know, he what he did was was all bad. But the thing is that, that, that you've met your darkness, 
Mm. And the, the, the deeper you meet your own darkness, like the shadow work we were talking about, is that then you have the perspective, uh, you have the familiarity with um, shadow and evil, so you can protect yourself navigating life. But you can also just then have the perspective of what good people are as well. Do you know what I mean? And and, and what what's the greatness in you and your light? Because you have that. Everybody has that. Yeah, totally. We're all we're all born as emotional beings. We, we sort of have, like you were saying earlier, we have like a what they call human design. I, I've been looking into this. It's like you're kind of defined um, before you're ever born within the womb. You're you're, you're kind of your design. Your um, you know um, your nature is defined before you, you come into the world. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all born as energetic, emotional beings. And like you say, because you were born in uh, within your spirit, your soul chose the family it did to learn the lessons it needed to. Absolutely. So your mum and dad were, were there uh, as mirrors for you to figure out, okay, mm. how can I use this um, pain um, to now um, birth the, the passion you have now? Like, well, what lessons can you teach people? And it's kind of the reason why you've, birth this podcast as well you know your, your story has really turned into a gem and it's yeah. kind of we, we need to embrace our darkness not in an egoic way to see oh there's a break and make story but there's really uh, your journey can enlighten others um and that's how we learn isn't it from our external we need to not make the same mistakes ourselves it's kind of like you well you kind of need to make those mistakes you do it, of course you do it's like we can't do the healing for other people you can't go and like you know give somebody like a dna shot and say okay you've lived my life through through me no it has but, crossed my mind yeah. <laughs> i would love to be probably the same as you i would love there have been times when i've thought i would love to be able to just provide that shortcut for people yeah. the reality is we can't yeah. i think but but what we can do is we can shave a little. We can shave a corner off here and there for people. I think that's probably the, that's where I've got to with this. I like that expression, and yeah. Because I, I um, well, back to the drama triangle. If if someone's playing the victim mm-hmm. in their own story of self-suffering, mm-hmm. and they call me in to rescue them, well, what tends to happen? What always happens in the drama triangle uh, is once you're in that drama triangle, mm-hmm. at some point the person the triangle is going to flip. Mm. And suddenly I went in as a rescuer, but because that victim is essentially, albeit an unknowing emotional vampire, energy vampire, they flip the script. I become the victim and they become the persecutor. Does that sound familiar to anyone listening or does that sound familiar to you? Yes. So in a situation where we rescue, we will more often than not become the victim. So the only thing we can do for one another and for our brothers and sisters is to enable, is to just plant the seeds. This is it. And like you say, that triangle is a great concept of how you can self-abandon. You're abandoning yourself in some sense, shape or form. It's like you're not taking that. um, It's why we need to start self-impose empathy. We're great to give it. Mm -hmm. And I like, you know, I think that just as an empath myself and, and as a coach, you have to have firm boundaries around who has access to your energy. Absolutely. You have to set boundaries. This is it. And this is where like, there's a great thing of a detachment and like living without an identity, but there's an identity necessary. Mm. There's self-protective of, okay, what do you want to associate with? What environments do you want to surround yourself with? It's learning. It's your intuition. Mm. Your intuitive pulses align to those things you define. And that's what we need to get in touch to because mm. we can come in naively into situations. But then like we just said, it's like that naivety kind of teaches us. We're like, okay, we're going to knock back and embrace those slips. They're not, 
you know, sometimes they are full, you know, it's, it's a slip, not a fall, as uh, Abraham Lincoln says. It's like, well, you know, you, you scrub back on and, and get on with it again. But it's not as easy. It's easier said than done. Well, of course, but but it, but you make a really valid point and it, and, it, and it sings to something I talk about quite a lot where I, I try to explain that an event is just an event. Mm. Your emotional response to that event is what then defines the story. Yeah. So... And I, I suppose let's let's take my mother's death as an example, mm-hmm. because I'm sure there will be people listening to this saying, "Well, it's not really that simple, buddy. You know, we we've got emotions and we get upset." All mm. right. Well, I'll talk about my mum dying then, because that's you know that's pretty that's pretty hardcore. Mm. Um, how I responded to that in the first place was <laughs> as a tram smash of self sabotage. Uh, you know, there's no two there's no two ways about it. I absolutely went into self destruct mode. Um, however, with hindsight and with uh, experience and 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 self love and understanding now, I I can I, I have a, a completely different perspective on that. So, I do not resent my mother. I do not resent my father. I do not resent their grandparents uh, because I well, how could I possibly judge anyone uh, for being human when I myself am a flawed human? Yeah. So actually. I've turned what was resent into gratitude. Yeah. Thank you for those lessons. Thank yeah. you for that gift. Uh, thank you for the gift of trauma. Yeah. Oh, interesting, isn't it? Right. I mean, and, and that's going sound bizarre to a lot of people listening to this show, but actually thanks for the gift of trauma because I was able with the right tools and the, and the right environment and the right people around me, I was able to turn that into a phenomenal gift. Transmute. Yeah. I think you said transmute. earlier. Yeah. It's the polarities need to exist, mm. but you need the polarities. It's why evil and good exist. We have these healing fantasies. It's what, what lots of people do. It's like we, 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 we believe we, especially as a, you know, um, somebody wants to give back, like yourself now, just completely turned it around, is that we want the whole world to kind of a, a wake up. Yeah. Right. We, you know, we had this Wouldn't fantasy that, nice? that everybody would be... Utopia. This is it. That, that's such an ideal scenario. But is it, it... Then that realism comes in. It's like, well, we're abandoning, abandoning ourselves in the process of, of achieving what is a fantasy. It's a complete fantasy. It is. And it's not a reality. We live in a realm of duality. Yeah, this is separation. it. Like, if, if everybody was good and awoke and we would not know what evil was and then we don't have perspective of what is good. And it's exactly. it's, it's brilliant. There's a, there's a famous little show I've been watching. It's I love some of these, uh, you know, Netflix shows. You know, they, they have lots of great embedded messages but it's called the, the the good life have you watched that one? Oh, i have yeah 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 oh, it's quite quirky isn't it american show but it's kind of like the, right at the end no spoilers hopefully if anybody's not watching this but it's like um right at the end it's like that they all go to the afterlife don't they and then everything's all kosher it's brilliant everyone's loving each other they haven't they've done everything they needed to do yeah and then they were ready for that that they all sort of signed themselves off when they were ready. And they took thousands of years to live that kind of perfect life, but they were ready. Like yeah. we said, the life and death, it has to end. It does. Otherwise it becomes mundane. Um, we, as human beings, we, we like to make the extraordinary ordinary. Well, you it, 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 you're, you're into the realms of uh, the hero's journey now, I think, uh, mm. for, for me. It was, uh, Carl Jung talked a lot about this, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think Jung believed that the reason why the hero's journey, the, the the hero's journey is a story structure for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about. Sure. Um, and actually, most a lot of Hollywood movies follow the the hero's journey. A classic hero's journey would be Star Wars, the original Star Wars. A seemingly insignificant person is living in the regular world and then drawn into 
uh, an other world, uh, turns it down, takes it back up, picks up a mentor, goes on an incredible journey of transformation. There's a climactic ending. Everybody's happy. And there's always evil involved, isn't there? There's always a bad guy to fight. There is duality through throughout that. There has to be. There have to be obstacles. There has to be good, uh, evil, dark, and light. Mm. Um, you can't have a story of transformation without duality, can you? Yeah. And um, and Jung believed that uh, that it was in, it was it was it was almost ingrained in the reason why we we. We so love the hero's journey is that it's ingrained in our DNA. I personally believe that's the case. I believe it's in the coding because I believe we reincarnate and I believe that we come back time and time again until such time as we've had, we've completed the hero's journey and then we ascend elsewhere. And this is the thing. It's like, again, like we, we were talking about right at the beginning is that this spiritual identity and this ego, it's like, well, sometimes we make ourselves center of the universe like we are the hero mm-hmm. and it's kind of like well we, how can we reframe that as we're all heroes of course uh, and we're all here to coexist and uh teach one another through being mirrors to one another and, and how can we support one another rather than kind of uh, you know be self-serving in everything we're doing you well, know that's the beautiful point about the concept i'm on a hero's journey you're on a hero's journey yeah. she's on a hero's journey he's we're all heroes yeah. and we're all uh we're all in one way living this ourselves mm-hmm. and we attempting to achieve this milestone and that milestone. But at the same time, we're working with one another in order to achieve it. Yeah. If I was the only person on this planet living a hero's journey, well, I wouldn't have had the traumatic upbringing. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have, uh, well, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have learned anything because it would just be me. You'd be, you, yeah, you would have been asleep to it as well. You needed to shake that snow globe up so so high that you shift it you know when the, you had the, the shotgun to your mouth that was the moment that things needed to, to and the really dog wouldn't have up. stopped me doing that so so we are we're all uh we're all one another's cast yes in the hero's journey and and this is why we're all intrinsically connected yeah. and this is why when we interact we're actually providing one another with a gift yeah uh, I, and i appreciate that, that a lot of people struggle to see that perspective because it's you have to do a bit of work to get there. It's a funny quote from the Avengers, actually. I love superheroes showing this up as well. <laughs> I love these movie quotes, you know. <laughs> but it's, that it's, it's we're all too busy trying to be something we're supposed to be. Yes. Um, not rather embracing who we truly are uh, as, as imperfect perfect beings. It's the thing is like, you know, the Superman, you know, when they, they create the cast of superheroes, Superman was too perfect. There was no kryptonite at the beginning and no one was interested in his story. Because he couldn't, he didn't have a weakness. He didn't have a weakness. There was no, yeah, there was no uh, hero flaw. And, and this is the thing, it's like going back to our, our situation of, of life. It's like sometimes we can uh, become a tragic hero because we try and create a, a life of suffering enough to feel like we've got a flaw that's interesting mm-hmm. that people will start to tune into. And yeah. I think this can be a quite a kind of crux when, when it comes to kind of influence or um, any shape or form. It's kind of like, well, why can't we make it easy for ourselves to? Why can't we, we all live in harmony and in, in gratitude? You know, like, do we need to really go through those rock bottoms to truly be, you know, discover our true self is the question. Maybe you have a response to that. Well, I, I, I don't think we do. Mm. I think is the short answer. I, no. I, I think societal modeling, sorry, societal modeling and conditioning are playing a huge part in how messed up we are yeah. now. And 
and we don't need to be in such a messed up situation. The, the, the reality is that we, we have a, a matrix-like situation now, uh, aka society, where you can get so deeply lost in, in the rabbit hole yeah. that you can be distracted from the beginning to the very end of your life mm. without having any time or, or real driver or motivation to, to do the inner work, to, to, to become self-aware. And, you know, sorry to say it, but the metaverse is, an, is another terrifying example of, <laughs> yeah. of how you'll be pulled back into the matrix. Alcohol, yeah. cigarettes, drugs, uh, vanity. But the problem is, is we are fighting human instincts and uh, human consciousness that we've been ingrained with to, to help us survive. Just like Carl Jung says, it's like we are, I am who you think, I think you think I am. Why do we outsource so much of our power if we get more conscious of that loop? It's like, why do we need to prove something to the other person to be ourselves? Or, or, you know, what what are we trying to prove, essentially? It's like, why can't we just be without even how, like, we cut that feedback. But then it's psychology. It's who we are in our instinctual selves. We, We are ingrained that way to protect ourselves it's ego that controls all of these all of these actions and thoughts and behaviors yeah and as you mentioned Eckhart Tolle before we started recording he wrote a wonderful book called The Power of Now which that's a beautiful book isn't it it's profound and I still go back to that book um and if you haven't read it please do because it's a it's an, an amazing introduction to the concept of your surrender isn't it total surrender and and surrender surrendering the ego in exchange for your true self your consciousness and it's that battle between ego and consciousness and uh, i mean the guy's a walking book of prose everything he says is is wisdom the thing is with this though is that like going back on my story i i grew up in a uh, football culture and and uh, lad culture as they call it in the uk mm-hmm. so it's a young young lad culture where you go out to booze and you you'd escape through alcohol you escape through girls you escape through the footy you know you, you would really have mundane surface level conversations mm. that would never go deep and I, I i always knew i was different you know i was uh, kind of performing at school a little bit you know i was doing all right there i was, I was a bit more you know empathic I, I just was just a bit more emotional than the lads there the culture and society s- systemically creates boys uh, through school like the, the boys will be boys famously is said um that that keeps it consciously keeps it at a surface level because they're scared of what they can discover as well just like you say is the, the escapism but i hit that rock bottom moment when i was you know we were in malia one you know went away for this kind of lads holiday and i That's went through greek island right greek island yeah it's it's um it's kind of like the the mallorca uh, what's the word for it but it's mallorca no malia's greek um and we went away for the summer but it's just the booze up it's you completely lose yourself mm. um and you just escape everything you were um you know it, it's the, the culture itself and it took myself being knocked out on a strip by a big Albanian bodybuilder, um, sort of, uh, it was it was terrible. Yeah, I got knocked out, sort of jumping in to help one of my friends, and I, I remember just waking up. Who, what, where am I? Am I? And no one was there. None of my friends were there. Mm. Um, and then went through that situation. Then didn't learn. Went through that same toxic cycle. They were like, "Hey, mate, come along and uh, you know uh, come to to another lad's holiday." So I went and accepted that familiar. Um, hadn't learned the lesson yet. And this was like probably the, one of the worst holidays I've ever had because I went through doing the, the nose canisters. Yeah. I think they're laughing gas or something, oh, yeah. um, upside down and, and, and with balloons to try and get high. And, and so I, I did that. And I remember pulsing with panic, panic yeah. attack. 
And I was just like, it was like a, a drill going through my head and everything just went white and blank. It was like the first day I had to sort of then brave a whole week in amongst being in the arena with the Lions. Mm-hmm. And, and so you realised you didn't want to do it anymore. And I didn't want to do it. And, and again, back to the Eckhart Tolle thing, I couldn't surrender. It's almost like I needed to fight within that arena yeah. to then realise that pain was so much because I was eaten by bullying. I was eaten by like, oh, you're, you're different. You're weird. You're wacky. Like, come on, Josh, get over it, man up. You know, stop mm. being so sensitive. And we're, shamed. we're an shamed. We're shamed. And we're shamed as men. All our lives, we're not shown how, how to be a healthy masculine or how to be a good guy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're shown what not to be and, and shamed for actually what helps us access that healthy masculine. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I, and I, obviously this is different in different cultures, but um, it's... It 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 does all it does is steals and firms your steals up and firms that sense of identity. Right, I must be tough yeah. because everybody else around me is being tough, and that's um, I, I, yeah, I think that's a masculine thing. But it's all it it it, it works for all of us in a way uh, for for men and women and uh, and everything in between because because then we are we are forced to to not show vulnerability. And this is the thing, but if you were to surrender in those environments, you will likely take on the victim, which I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to surrender. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to accept me. I'm not going to fire back with more banter or more nasty comments. Mm-hmm. I was never that guy. No. I was never to rebound it. Like I was taking on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I didn't realize that there was different or perspective. I didn't know there was actually really health. Like coming to Bali, like yourself, yep. like really people who accept you for who you are and, and, and are, are not threats, are yep. not things that you need to to to, to deem or realize is, sugar, I need a tactic to defend myself here. We're in uh, protective fight, flight, freeze responses. Yep. So how do you kind of then have conscious control, which you need to create an identity of around to to, to, to lean more towards those things? that feels far safer, mm. allows you to access those levels of self-actualization, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But sometimes we do need to accept the fact that we are surviving at times and have, have to survive through the past mm. um, to come through those learnings. And it's just like they say, we can't go through and um, you know, um, shove our story down other people's throats because they'll hopefully learn that themselves and, and just, just become more awake to their external. Is this truly making me feel good is this really truly bringing out my true self or what they call the role self the persona you know is this really driving me further away from who i truly am or closer to who i truly am and this is the hard part because relationships are just like that aren't they? they're, they're your mirror and i even ask myself even sometimes with my my wife i'm thinking am i becoming true more truly uh, more of who i truly am or less of who i am Mm. And then we have to detach from the past because, you know, me and you both, we've both had these egoic pasts. So it's kind of like, how do we detach from that egoic past to really truly believe who we, we, we truly are? And that's where the spiritual teachings come in because that's mm. surrendering, mm-hmm. that um, destroy those layers. You don't need to prove. Being is just enough. It's a funny cliche that goes around in the personal development. It's like, just be yourself. But but if just being yourself was that easy, we'd all be it. <laughs> well, Isn't it funny? It's, was it uh, Oscar Wilde said, be yourself, everyone else is taken, which I thought was a wonderful quote. If you like and subscribe, if you follow, we will fly. If you like and subscribe, if you follow, we will fly. If you like and subscribe, if you follow, we will fly. 
immensely conscious all the while that we've been talking about my story a lot and I suppose I was happy to do that in as much as uh, we were talking about my inability to relate especially to women yeah well let's face it it was with everybody mm. however we've not talked enough about about you and what mm. you do what I be but yeah isn't it what I be what, what be you <laughs> what be you <laughs> well um again it is with marketing it is sort of again an identity like what am i going to show to the world that i can truly be of best service now for me at the moment and it's always going to transform and evolve but at the moment i help women heal through uh, toxic relationships having gone through toxic relationships with men um and realign to their true selves really unravel those stories they've been telling themselves um really make sense of their traumatic stories and kind of be that compassionate expander for the masculine, for them to go out and seek it in the dating world. So start to, again, attach to more healthy ideals for men. Gotcha. And so it's more like, a, you know, wrap it up in one sum. It's just the conscious dating coach, really, bringing in the consciousness to what is, I'm afraid, in our modern world, there's lots of like sleazy tactician ways of navigating dating. It's kind of like being something you're not to... Mm to play the games, to seduce your partner into kind of a transactional means of love that never is as shallow, isn't it? We can never meet ourselves. You know, we only can meet the other as far as we've met our depth. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly the same thing. It's like meeting that that soul that can to, can kind of meet meet you in your depth. I think that's a, a, a very worthwhile thing to be being rather yeah. than doing. I, I think yeah. my, obviously I'm, I'm a, a little bit older and a little bit long in the tooth and, um, I'm probably unplugged. Well, I am entirely unplugged from from the from the Matrix per se. It's yeah. been a long time since I, well, long enough since I since I was on the dating game. But it strikes me that it is an incredibly terrifying place to be these days. And, and why? I, I would love to ask you. How have you overcome the ability to sort of like snap the fingers and think? that I've got the willpower not to dip my toes into those spaces ever again, just out of curiosity? No, that's a fair question. I, I, funnily enough, there's a chap called Rumi. He's a Sufi poet in the 12th, 13th century. Uh, and Rumi was channeling serious magic when this guy wrote and spoke. And one of the things he said was, perhaps you are searching among the trees, among the branches, for what may only be found in the roots. I see. And I realized that I'd spent the majority of my adult life in the branches looking for distraction. In the fruits. With the fruits, because one of my addictions was sex addiction. Sure. I was prolific in a, and in not a proud way, I hasten to add. I was a, a prolific and I was, I was so, I was never satisfied. Yeah. And of course I was always, because I didn't know myself or love myself, I was always... Uh, attracting the wrong kind of partner anyway. Let me ask actually for that same part thing. It's, you're a handsome guy, man. Like like just uh, from a guy to a guy. And I'm sure say. back in there you were a good looking chap and you know you were attracting attention. And it's like how you potentially abuse that power and I think lots of men do. Yeah. You absolutely. know, they abuse commitment because they realise, okay, you know, you're you've got the gift of the gab, you've got the charm, you've got the seductive kind of you know, you, you can play those games and, and, and you have the you're gifted mm -hmm. physically. 
and women loved it's like a moth to a light and you were like okay let's take advantage of this in an unconscious way i suppose exactly and that it, and it's like that that's then posing the the, the, the unhealthy masculine to the, the healthy it's like well when's that limit enough like that's where morality and um, biblical and religious studies can actually help us navigate with morality rather than ego in that sense it's like well commit to that part is why marriage can sometimes help it's like okay get your horse blinkers on mm. resist the urge resist your instincts and and give your all really kind of surrender like you say and, and, and commit to that one part why does it need to be a few and again like i, I don't want to define this because that's me projecting to the microphone it's like some people can some have people are happy with uh, polyamorous yeah, relationships yeah exactly and i and, and this is the thing is um that's their version of success and i you know you've got to be aware of how you project that as well how did you kind of move through with your own moral compass to overcome sort of being the um the bachelor bachelor of your youth well simply put i learned to love myself and i don't mean in an unhealthy way so i realized that i'd spent my whole life not loving me yeah i was i thought i did i thought i was very happy (laughs) i had a mask on a mask on a mask on a mask i had a different mask for different people you know, if I'm talking to you, you get this mask. If I'm talking to you, you get this mask. It was exhausting. I had multiple personas and none of them were me. None of them were the authentic me. Yeah. And I know it's a cliche, but uh, if you can't love yourself, how can you expect anyone else to love you? And yeah. when I learned to love myself, I realized that I was all I needed. Yeah. I, I love that. When you say, how can you love yourself? No, how can you have others love you if you don't love yourself exactly you need to become familiar with that love to actually accept it mm-hmm. um and surrender to it allow because some people can find difficulty in accepting compliments yeah and this is again it's like surrendering to the fact that somebody is giving you that gift mm-hmm. yeah and not an egoic way it's kind of like again if we attach the good we're gonna make the uh the, it's just like you know comments on your social media for example the, the great people that praise you you can accept it, but don't get too attached to it because you're going to equally attach the hating comments. Absolutely. And you will let it eat you alive. So Take it's it as an event. An event. Thank you. Gratitude. Move on. Yes. You know? And, and I, you know, I, we talk about, we've talked about attachment, but I always say I'm attached to nothing, but I'm connected to everything. There's a difference. Yeah. You know, you can live a life of non-attachment or you can work towards living a life of non-attachment yeah. without being an android or, a, a, you know, a robot uh there is there is a, a, a wonderful fine line there where you always realize the impermanence of anything and i suppose with that in mind i i've realized the impermanence of my own self-harm my own self-sabotage i there's an expression isn't the uh, leopard never changes his spots and it's interesting that it's him as well he and I, and I had that said to me several times by by women, uh, mm-hmm. and rightly so at the time. And I think even when I quit drinking and quit doing drugs, and and I came here, I know for a fact that a lot of people in my in my peer group back in the UK genuinely believed that a leopard will never change its spots, right. and. Uh, I certainly never set out to to make these changes to prove to anyone anything. Actually, the whole point was to stop trying to project myself to anyone and everything, and actually start to turn the 
turn the camera and the lights, metaphorically speaking, on me and do the inner work. And uh, yeah, so I completely appreciate the position that a lot of your, the, the women that you work with will be in because unfortunately Martin version 1.0 yeah. was the guy causing the problems for them. That is again, humility to accept that because again, like you say, you want to be the hero. You mm. want to feel like you are perfect. Yeah. And you want to feel like you don't have those flaws. But I think it's something so humble about what you say to accept the fact that, well, that's lessons for a lot of people too. Your, your, your life is then a lesson for others and you know it so deep because you were a, a perpetrator, as it were. You know, you knew the Absolutely game. Absolutely, I was. Or a victim. Yeah. Depending on, I was whatever I needed to be in order to get people into my drama triangle mm-hmm. and control the situation. Yeah. Um, I'm conscious we've, we've got a, a question for you. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, as you know, but not everybody knows, we have a, a portion on the show called Be My Guest, mm-hmm. where uh, an audience member will record a question for you. So, we've got one here. One sec. Oh, fantastic. Be my guest. Let's talk, my friend. Is this you? No, Let's this is a chap called friend. Dwayne Forrest. He's got a significantly better voice and more talented than me in musical terms. I was going to say, it could resonate with you. His beautiful voice. Hi, Josh, and all our wonderful listeners. Sorry that I can't be with you today on the podcast, but instead I thought that this week I could be the Be My Guest. And um, my question for you, Josh, is what are the signs of gaslighting? Mm. and what can the receiver of this do about it? And on another note, this isn't um, an inquiry based on my own personal circumstances, <laughs> um, but Thanks I do know that, this Jules. is quite a hot topic right now and um, something that's really worth addressing. So thank you very much. Bless my queen. Jules is in the second day of her cycle, so she's reti- she's she's resigned to the womb cave for a couple of days to rest up. That was coming from a deep place then. That was coming from the magic of the feminine. Yeah, the intu- well, she's intuiting right now, isn't she, at this time of the cycle? So, Yeah, yeah so what was the question? Great what are question. the signs of gaslighting and what can the victim of gaslighting do about it? Brilliant. Well, going back, to well we need to identify what gaslighting is and who the who who does it and how we understand that person as well is that or gaslighting is a projection and it's something that we we just that the spiritual element is is not taking it personally we understand that the other person is doing it as a form to again feel feel protected in their own identity um and and try and shift blame or shift like they're they're probably the externalizer they're escaping their problems and gaslighting can kind of be the external tactic for them to to then blame and make them feel self-righteous so the woman in that situation is likely the internalizer who's taking it um to heart and self-reflecting and and um and and taking it personally um and what you need to do is sort of allow it to go right through you and not own it it's kind of step out right over it if that person, I, I heard Brené Brown's great, I'm going to take what she said, it was that find that person who's willing to be in the arena with you, the person who's willing to take off the armor, the layers, the personas, um, and lead with vulnerability. Because gaslighting is not vulnerability. No. That's completely escaping it. Not at all. 
and um, it's somebody who can really allow themselves to be seen, felt, and heard with you. Um, so you need to figure out if that person in front of you is really displaying that form of vulnerability to make you feel like you can um, feel safe, accepted, um, and provided for as the masculine if you're looking at a heterosexual relationship. That's kind of how I coach, so I'll use that term to everybody else who, who are in um, other forms. The masculine-feminine dynamic still exists. But it's allowing, seeing the masculine to provide, not persecute in, in its own way. You know, it's kind of... Um, that's what I would say. Gaslighting is a means to create you as the victim so they feel more entitled to the power dynamic that, that, that coexists. It's, it, and it's it's not a, an empowering place to be. So sometimes it, it does take, I think, for, for women, creating the boundaries, going within, um, knowing your sense of self as much as you possibly can so you're not being distorted by their thoughts and speak, mm. spoken word we can easily like we said we, we are a reflection of what you think of me and so if you're in a toxic relationship for example you can really distort your sense of self so it's being very aware of what you're what you valued going into your inner child like when what did you love to do as a child that's why i love healing it's like that was truly you before conditioning came in at a certain certain age so just look look before you know at ages five months to six you know as much as you can consciously bring out of that mm -hmm. is is that was you until you're conditioned um Try and access that person again yeah and and that that will help you heal um in some sense shape or form and um just come back to yourself um i think some of the tactics of gaslighting are very often to in an argument for example to to dismiss your partner so you might be bringing uh, as the gaslighter bringing all the problems into an argument for no reason whatsoever and in order to keep that argument alive you will dismiss that person's opinion that's nonsense you're too sensitive you know you, you, you're always feeling this and feeling that um, or you might um, tell them something that they've said that they didn't say Yes. Uh, or you might run them around in, in ragged circles in, an, in, a, in a quite a, a tedious debate to the point where the, the person you're in the relationship with is absolutely emotionally and mentally exhausted. So you beat them down. And then you have them in a, in a, a point where they're... Qu well, they're in a victim space, but they're mm. also... They get to that point where they're genuinely questioning whether or not it was their fault. And this is what a gaslighter does. And... Mm -hmm. and and this is what and a gaslighter can do this actually knowingly very knowingly it's a form of bullying as well let's, yeah. let's be honest it, it's yeah. browbeating as my mum would say i suppose mm -hmm. a way to 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 beat people down into submission and to, to the point where they literally do begin to question their own sanity and sometimes morality this is the hard part when All they bring it, in yeah. you're not a good person were doing x for me uh, yep. so there's a there's a very trending uh netflix documentary about the tinder swindler who's a man who plays a lot of um have you, have you seen this one you're, you're disconnected from it again I, yeah I it's haven't. okay um again I've, I've just kind of keeping one toe into the well it's in your that. it's in your professional space isn't it this is it and then that's sort of like they're, they're the women i kind of want to cast a net to help um but this man casts a net in a whole new way it's it's a way that um, plays a very extravagant lifestyle the mask of materialism for men it's kind of like um the Disney princess themes come up. It's like that this man will save me from my toxic household or um, like Cinderella, for example, or um, just like Belle and the Beast in Disney. It's like 
beast will trap bell in in the, the castle despite his abusive behavior yet she um she thinks beast will change because beast sees the kindness and compassion in her that he can change through her being his mirror but she accepts and tolerates it so much so that in the end he does become her type but then again we we, we the healing fantasy of i will make him my type and so i will yeah. sacrifice and be the tragic hero of that story to see the potential in that person and i and like you say and you know this that gaslighters are great at building a potential that's very romanticized and easy to to fall into in a fantasy and think, mm. oh my god my life could really look like that yeah and so in that vic- you've probably them down in that victim mentality into that sort of like um very um impressionable state mm-hmm. and then you've were able to play on what what robert green says is there's um there's um you play on desire uh, confu- you use confusion and desire um together it's like you're gonna you're gonna kind of like throw the carrot in front of the donkey yep. to give them the treat yep and then use avoidance tactics and just sort of retreat or um, neglect um, in some way, shape, or form to not give them too much. Yep. Allow them to become addicted to you. Mm-hmm. And that's the form of gaslighting. So you kind of have to, to break the cycle of toxic abuse. It's like a, it's kind of like a big circle like this. And there's four st- stages to it. There's, um, to begin with, it's kind of like the tensions are building um, right at the beginning. So that's kind of emotional uh, friction. That's um, lots of incidents kind of accumulating. Then the incident happens. That's when like, you know, physical abuse can occur, whatever it could be. Um, when, when it really hits its pinnacle, its peak of um, abuse. And then there's the reconciliation stage. So those who are abusers are great at saying, that's where the gaslighting comes mm-hmm. in. You were the one in the wrong. But I forgive you. And I forgive you. Yeah, you know, I, I, you've done so much for me and I trust you. And using the moral compass as well, like you've been such a good person to me mm-hmm. for staying with me despite mm-hmm. my weaknesses and flaws. And then you play the victim as a shape of like, okay, we're on this level playing field. But then what happens is the reconciliation comes around and your central nervous system is addicted to it. Then the calmness comes around and it's kind of like settling down and you're both kind of in lovey-dovey. The honeymoon, this is when the honeymoon phase comes back around. Yep. And then it's only a matter of time until it really recycles. And, and it comes back. It exactly. comes back. And then your central nervous system is programmed to, to be familiar with it. And know you've survived it once, you can survive it again. You can survive it again. You can survive it again. Well, and then it sadly becomes the norm, doesn't it? And, and yeah. I think, as you, as you said, another really depressing aspect to that dynamic is, is when the victim of a narcissist feels optimistic enough that they can change that person. In yeah. the sh- I'll, I'll give a brutally short answer to Jules' question, what can a victim of a gaslighter do? And that is leave. I'm telling you right now, pack your bags, don't look back and leave because a gaslighter, gaslighting is a symptom of narcissism it's a, or it's, it's an action through of, of a narcissist and a narcissist doesn't know they're a narcissist. So unless you are in a really, really fortunate situation where the partner you're with says, do you know what? I realize I've got some serious problems and I've and I've got some serious work to do and that can happen by the way mm. um, you know it can happen so leopards can change their spots yeah. but unless they say that and they say I am fully prepared to now begin to do the work and that doesn't mean I'm going to start meditating and I'm going to read a book uh, and I'm going to watch a documentary it means actually seeking professional help there's no other there's no other way to do it yeah. um, if they don't 
If they're not willing to do that, then the best thing you can do is get out. Just get out now and say, you know, you don't have to fall out. It's, unfortunately, you probably will. The nature of, of a narcissist, yeah. they don't, they're, they're, they're suffering from abandonment issues in the first place. So when you leave, you're really going to cause some, some issues. But bear in mind that that's not your fault and that's not your damn problem either. All of that is their problem. And the best thing you can do is take yourself out of that drama triangle Go and get back to normal because I know for a fact you won't be normal after that. You'll be 50 shades of fucked up after, after being in a relationship <laughs> with a narcissist. Well, yeah, the funny you know, way. I mean, they, yeah. because they they really mess with people. They really do mess you up and, and, find, and you find yourself going, what the hell was that? You are actually suffering from PTSD oh, all yeah. the time. Mm. Who am I? What am I? You know, what did I do wrong? You know, you find yourself questioning it. And trust me, you might be in the wrong, you know, because we're not all perfect, right? It's just, and it's a, it's a partnership, you know, we're co-responsible, but, you know, love yourself, take yourself out of it. But it's like the Truman Show, though, isn't it? We are living in a society from the mass population that is the, the government gaslight, the government shame. Absolutely. Name, name. The, the way we are policed is the same way. Uh -huh. We are we are saying you're unkind for not being vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. And that's a gaslighting tactic to say there's something wrong with you. Absolutely in, insane. Help. And happening on, a, on an international level and obviously being pumped into your eyes and ears by the mainstream media to the point where it's familiar. People believe it, and then obviously there's going to be if you have no boundaries around the external world and you're not conscious of it. There's only a matter of time where that bleeds into your love and relationship. Of course it does, and and we are we. It takes a, a great dev, a great devil. <laughs> That's curious, curious <laughs> slip of words. A great um, level of detailed work to yeah. become aware all the time. You know, yeah. so if you can learn to observe learn to observe you and the people around you mm. and try to do it without judgment because obviously that's the key then often you can then see that you're being gaslit you, you yeah. know i listen i had to tell somebody very close to me last week mm. who i've known for a long time mm. right okay I've, i can't do this anymore you're gas you you just gaslit me yeah. and in reality you've been doing that most of our relationship um, we have a very toxic relationship, and, right. and and so I'm now telling you. Is that a male to male relationship? Male to male. Right, right. Uh, I'm now telling you for the final time. I'm putting a boundary out, and it, don't don't do that. If you want to retain any sort of relationship with me going forward, you will never communicate with me like that again. Yeah, and you need to communicate the stakes, because then nobody, you know, then you'll realise it's a great way to communicate because you get more clarity it's where it, where it comes through it's like yeah. well no they're they're only guessing uh, we i can't guess how you feel until you really tell me unless I, well i can i can through through empathic you know tendencies but it's like i i it, it communicating takes the guesswork out of everything and then it gives up what's for stake you need to create consequences um because then that will show if they can um can meet you Mm. Um, for those consequences and your your reality can't change until you take that control mm, absolutely um, and of course communicate if you can as an adult so yeah to that transactional theory analysis try not to patronize try not to behave like a wounded child just communicate and this is essentially what i did in this communication it was okay look i've tried mm -hmm. i tried several different ways to do this this particular person often uh, often plays the victim in the drama triangle or right, the persecutor, right. but mainly the victim. Mm. Woe is me. Everything in my life is shit. Uh, it, you know, why is this always happening to me? Um, 
You know, it's not my fault. It's never this person's fault. It's always someone else's fault. Externalizing um, again. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Again, I'm sweeping generalization. There are there are occasions when it is somebody else's fault, of course. But then it's still an event, and it's up to you how you want to react to that. Yeah. And and I cl- just clearly, calmly communicated. Please, if you want to retain a relationship with me of, of, of any meaning, you must never communicate with me like this again. Uh, I've yeah. asked you time and time again. Funnily enough, I've not heard back from this person now. So, but that's fine. It's okay. Yeah, that's, that's also fine. It's why you need to be okay with the rejection. Absolutely, and so fear rejection because you, you, the thing is with with souls that that are on the other side of gaslighting is that they fear rejection so much that they feel it hard to reject others. Absolutely. So you're, you're potentially rejecting somebody, but for your own good. And that's that's healthy ego in some sense. It's like, I need to stand in my... Well, it's it's, it's it's energy protection, ultimately. Mm. Uh, if you think, think, if you're being gaslit, like mm. I was being gaslit in this particular situation, a gaslight, another tactic from a gaslighter, as you've identified, is to then leave you alone like turn away from you and essentially it's like right okay well you've just lost my affection and my attention now see how you get on with it and scarcity and, isn't it they're playing with scarcity exactly you're now valuable because you're scarce totally and if you've if you really have become a full-on stockholm syndrome victim in that arrangement which incidentally is not judgment it happens all the time then you might just go after a little while oh hi look i'm really sorry if i hurt your feelings i didn't mean to and then boom you're back in the trap. This is it. Be- it's a tactic. Because you know no different and you think that that person is your only way back to feeling feeling good about yourself again. And it's yeah, why or, they need or to feeling be- what you feel in that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. This is it. Because this is not always romantic relationships that, you know, let's let's be let's be straightforward mm. about this. You can have family who are narcissists. You oh, yeah. can have good friends who are narcissists Absolutely. who gaslight you and mistreat you uh, in toxic relationships. So however they make you feel in that relationship is something that you, of course, you cherish it because it's why you have that relationship. It's why you kind of have to align to peace and, and associate pleasure to peace. So what we do is we associate pleasure to expedience and in and out, like you say, the scarcity, um, the uh, avoidance trap, the, um, you know, most of the women I work with are anxiously attached mm. and the men, they, they tend to attract are avoidant yeah. because they're like, again, it's addicted to that toxic cycle of abuse. They're addicted to absence. Um, and again, they may have had fathers who were at work quite a lot. Yep. Um, and, and they, they kind of, you move towards it. Like we said, right at the beginning, it's like you, you have two responses. You move towards it, like anxiously attached do. They kind of, feel that that's familiar so they try and get it or you come up with a new way which is a far more empowered stance and start to explore different which is where i try and guide women it's like well you can find association with peace start to really come into to tap into that and then start to befriend it and think that this is actually truly good for me and i want to sort of um fish in the right ponds and and um, find new modalities to heal as well um which is meditation is obviously the first line of action. I think that saved me from deep, dark depression at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, also first, like again, the first mover in my group of lads that weren't friends again, same thing. It's like that same gaslighting mentality. I felt weird, wacky at the time, um, but it was so good for me and it was really hard to sort of adapt and make my no- new norm. And then that's when I sort of found breath work, um, nutrition, just my nutrition, wholesome foods, you know, yeah, everything. The whole, like lot. Yeah. the whole lot just sort of whacked at me at sort of 18, 19. And I sort of had that spiritual awakening around there. And um, so, yeah, it's really important that you find that new way because there is a new way. Just know that you're not victim to your circumstances. Yeah. And just uh, following on from that and something else you said earlier on, there, there is 
there is absolutely nothing wrong with any of us mm. if we are in a situation of abuse. Mm. Gaslighting is abuse. It's just it's just mental abuse. It's abuse of your mental health. Of course, yeah. unfortunately, the the same people gaslighting can also be physically violent. I I was never physically violent with a partner. Um, that's but it doesn't. Um, they're just as bad as one another in a way, right? Oh, hugely. And um, once, if you are able to take yourself away from that, you will find yourself in a situation where you can get back to being you. Yeah. And so from my perspective, it's the, my advice to anyone in that situation is you're not you now in this relationship. You don't realize it because you're just in it. But... Yeah. This person is, is changing you into something. They're bending you out of shape. And that's why you feel it. You do feel it. You feel unnaturally unhappy in some way. There's your intuitions telling you, I'm not, I'm not at peace, right? And you, yeah. Beautiful word to use in this context. So actually, the best thing you can do is, is take yourself away from it and remove yourself from that toxic relationship. And this is a thing. This is where uh, I, I, I debate with people about the concept of ghosting, Okay, yeah, that's avoidant behavior, basically. Well, yeah. However, if someone is abusing you, mm. you are well within your rights to say, this no longer serves me. Love and light, best of luck, but I am I, I cannot have you in my life. It's a form of boundary, sorry. Yeah, on that side of it, sorry. Exactly that. So so there are two sides to ghosting. Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, one, one is avoidance. But don't let, because a gaslighter will come at you with the word ghosting as well. It's another tactic. So if you have said your piece in the most calm and collected way and you've set out your boundaries and your boundaries have been ridden over, roughshod, it's up to you to define how many times. For me, it's three. Three strikes and you're out. It, it, well, it's like a driving test, I say, isn't it? It's like there's a major, there's a major <laughs> test and you're gone. You know, that's when you're like, you know, well, you're bumping into the, the car on a three point. It's, it's whatever sort. It's whatever whatever suits us, right? You know, yeah. you know, my boundaries and your boundaries. They might be different. They might be the same. But but it's it's whatever. You, you really just got to put yourself at the center of that. Your happiness, your peace of mind, your mental health at the center of it and again it's, it's a real big redefining moment because internalizers who tend to be the victims in this situation tend to have had to hold in their uh, thoughts feelings emotions and their opinions with their mum and dads mm. and that's what and they were harmonizers and they were the people they were the mediators they were sort of like i'm just going to go within and, and self-reflect like uh, i'm just a burden if i talk up that's exactly the same thing that's why they fall into traps with toxic relationships and don't feel empowered enough to take that action because they feel like the only action to take is to go quiet and tolerate yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and again, like there's a funny little, like if we re rejig this, it's like, well, the empath can also turn into a form of a narcissist too. If you finally look at it, like I don't want to trigger anyone on the other side. I'm a empath, but you can start to, your victimization is narcissistic in some shape or form because you believing you can save someone or fix someone and sacrifice yourself to do that and make them your type is a form that you have some form of self-importance isn't it and it's like i'm going to stay in this to really live out that identity so it's that again meet your shadow and the shadow kind of you you only meet you kind of need to raise your consciousness so you don't meet unconscious beings or be more aware of it because you are just as unconscious as the gaslighter and the perpetrator, mm-hmm. the victim. You meet them in the middle, just like you say with the three, you know, the three things. It's kind of like, 
yeah, it's still the same distance on, on each side of the yeah. The no, I, I, I totally agree. It's and, 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 yeah. and this is also a key point I took on board through my healing process was co-responsibility. Mm. To, 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 to go back over these events and these, these phases of my life and to say, okay, yeah, you were a victim in that, but hang on a minute. Where's the co-responsibility? You know, you, you did walk into that arrangement. You did stay in that arrangement. You did give that person seven chances instead of three. Yeah. You did this, you did that. And, and as you say, you, you almost had the, well, you had the ego to decide, I'm going to change this person. Yeah. Now, that, in one way, that's coming from uh, a place of love. But in the other way, it's, it's coming from a, a place of self-preservation because mm-hmm. you like this arrangement. Yes, it's a bit it's a bit faulty, and he, he he abuses me or she abuses me on a regular basis. But all in all, you know, it's not a bad looking relationship as relationships go. So I want to keep it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do my bit to to try and keep it. But the reality is, you can't. You know, you just cannot. The, actually, the best thing you could do, and I think obviously, just I've already sort of said this, but the best thing you can do um, for a narcissist is to leave them and then let them do the work because. Mm-hmm. There's certain work we can do together in our partnerships, in our relationships, where we, when, we are, when we are working with equals and growing together. Growing, that's an important word. Yeah. Um, but in the certain work you cannot do when you're in a relationship. And I certainly personally believe that this sort of work is, is the, it's the big work. If you, if you are a gas, gaslighting narcissist, you are... Uh, causing these problems for yourself and for other people, the only way you can fix it is to is to start making some wholesale changes to your life. And you've yeah. got to go inward. Yeah, and this is the only direction you can go. So internalizers need to go external. They need to communicate and blame it, like like kind of like force. Don't own it. That's that was their fault, and let them have that responsibility of their fault and and understand that. And then again, the externalizers are usually the narcissist who blame, use addiction, and all that to kind of escape their emotional. Um, pain is is they need to go within they need to self-reflect more and it's kind of like well the lovely spiritual um, teaching is just equilibrium and balance you know mm-hmm. polarities need to exist and so internalizers need to become more external and vice versa yeah mm. um josh I, uh, like i could do that yeah <laughs> it's for England. I, yeah. somebody was bringing hot drinks it's not going to be jules because she's in the womb cave but uh you know well, bladder is a bit of a balloon at the moment so. or a sandwich then i could talk to you for several hours about this buddy i i'd love to to, to do this again with you but uh yeah yeah in the interest of trying to keep these episodes a little bit shorter i, I think we're yeah. going to have to say farewell i know i know i'm gutted too i know it's a deep deep dive subject and we, we can go into it a lot i think we've covered quite well we have. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come out, especially in this. I know. I, do you know what? When you were, uh, yeah, well, it, it adds to the tone, doesn't it? It's kind of like this, kind of like Dracula's castle now we're in, isn't it? It's like that, that slight <laughs> undertone of like thunder and lightning. Well, it's kind sometimes of... you've got sunshine, sometimes you've got rain. That's life in the tropics. But uh, no, I really appreciate your your time and your energy and your input. And, uh, and you, mate, I, yeah. I, I hope the audience is, is going to enjoy listening to this. If uh, anybody is wants to find out a little bit more about uh, about Josh, you can go on our website, howtodiehappypodcast.com forward slash on dash the dash show, and you'll find uh, a picture of this handsome chap with a little profile. Click on that, and you can go to his website and find out a little bit more. Thanks, buddy. I just want to, yeah, I just want to see you as well. I just want to see and feel you that 
it's incredible vulnerability and incredible I, I admire you for that you know I, you. I talk a lot about that sort of narcissistic point of view but for you to really see yourself and and make the amends that you're doing you know mm. is, is extremely courageous mate so I, I, I see you for that and, thank uh, you really you're appreciate inspiring it. for lots of men I think men need to do this stuff these these topics we've been talking about today we're going to talk about a lot on this show because this show is all about uh, uh, living well mm. so you can die well right mm. yeah. and it's, it's not really that the whole point isn't to obviously the show is how to die happy but I don't know if you haven't got it by now. It's the trick is actually the secret to dying well is living well, and um, yeah. so we just want to be able to have conversations like this on a regular basis, and, yeah. and hopefully just get people to, you know, maybe think, yeah, actually, I, I am doing a bit of that, or or I am feeling that, or I am suffering from that, and and here's some here are a few utilities, and you have absolutely packed this episode with utilities. So oh, brilliant, Thank and you. yourself, mate, it's been brilliant. Yeah, and again, I think to be happy. Own the sadness too, like we said, yep. the polarity. I think I think we're we're all so attached to being happy, but but be okay with your emotional turbulence at the moment. If you're listening to this and you're you're going through some shit, it's it's um, accept it. What is it trying to teach you? Lean into it and and never reject it because it's part of that journey to happiness. Yeah. Amen to that, brother. Thank you so much. Love you, mate. Thank you. Peace and love. Thank you, Martin. Mm-hmm.